Welcome back to our midweek service. Welcome to our study in Hebrews, Why Jesus is Better. I want to thank every single one of you for being here tonight. All of you who brave traffic. Tonight, our time is going to center on the topic of angels and how the audience of this book was likely dealing with the arguments that are made in this chapter, of our chapter one text tonight. So would you bow your heart with me? Let's go to the Father. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for who you are and how much you love us. All that you have done, all that you've done today to bring us all together. We just say thank you for your blessings. Thank you for all that you're doing in each of our lives. And Lord, this is your word, so we just pray in the name of Jesus that by your spirit you would anoint it, you would unfold it to us. They won't hear from me, but hear from you. And we just ask you, Lord, in, in this all in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we've entitled tonight's message, A Messiah Above God's Messengers. Now, we're going to read 5 through 14. That's the text we'll be working through tonight, but... As I tried to separate out what we covered last week, I just, I couldn't take away all that speaks so highly of Christ. And since that's the, the essence of tonight, the supremacy of Christ in our life, we're going to read those first few verses and then jump in together in five. So Hebrews 1, chapter 1, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That'll get some eyebrows in the audience of the, the audience who's hearing this letter for the first time. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, or is also superior to theirs. And now we enter verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, verse 7, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And of the Son, he says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies 
a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So in order to truly appreciate the power in these questions posed here and to kind of grasp how stirring or maybe even provocative some of these questions might land with the audience that this has been written to, we need to spend a few minutes and refresh ourselves a bit in their worldview of angels. While it's much easier for us to say Jesus is better than angels and wonder why we're still talking about this, the audience hearing this opening passage and each of these contrasting questions might be taking some deep exceptions here. Angels held a significant place in Jewish culture and religion, understandably so. And for a lot of good reasons, angels were held in high esteem, factoring mightily in their view of God and how God cared for His people. Scripture is filled with references to angels. I mean, you saw six times tonight just in these 14 verses. But 34 books in the Bible refer to angels, 17 in the Old Testament, 17 in the New Testament, totaling nearly 300 angel references, who they are, their role, describing encounters with them. In numerous places in scriptures, angels are referred to as sons of God. Since they don't procreate, they each have a very specific point of creation themselves, individually, every single one of them. They're created by God himself. They are not eternal beings. They did not always exist, but were created. And they are immortal. They will not die, but live forever. They are also referred to in Scripture as holy ones and as spirits. And as in verse 14 of our main text tonight, you saw that. We've already read that. Ministering spirits. They're referred to as watchers in Daniel. And in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul calls them dominions, principalities, powers, authorities. In the Talmud, the rabbinic Judaism text, which is a primary source for Jewish theology, angels are described as fiery beings, with one reference in the Talmud outright stating, the essence of angels is fire. If only the Roman guards at Christ's tomb had known this description. Matthew 28 opens by telling us, an angel descended from heaven, rolled back the stone, causing an earthquake, and his appearance was like lightning. His clothing white as snow, and the guards became like dead men out of fear of him. In addition to these scriptural encounters with angels, the audience to Hebrews would have been familiar with different kinds of angels. Cherubim, special security type angels, we could say, like the ones we see guarding the entrance to Eden. The Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies also had cherubim carved out on it with their wings touching in the middle. And this is not an insignificant detail to the audience. This is the very place God ordained for them to meet him and to hear from him. Seraphim are another kind of angel. We glean from Scripture that they seem to provide the music in heaven. As we read in the book of Revelation, and we sing in the Revelation song, seraphim cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And there are also archangels, archangels. More powerful in nature in some way, and we really do not know how many there are, but at least one is named in Scripture. Michael, who was a warrior and protector of God's people. We see him in Daniel. We see him in Jude. 
Now, there are two others, two other angels named in Scripture, although I think it is more tradition which refers to them as also being archangels. Gabriel, who plays heavily in the role of Christ's arrival in flesh. But there's another one. Lucifer, whose name means morning star, light bearer, or shining star, and his fall is chronicled beginning in Isaiah 14, 12. We also know that there are many angels in existence, although no one can be sure, comma yet, just how many there are. We'll have eternity to count, so someone will probably want to take that task on. Deuteronomy tells us that God came with myriads of his holy ones or angels to give the law on Mount Sinai. And at the birth of Jesus in Luke, there was a multitude of angelic hosts giving praises, actually fulfilling one of the prophecies referenced in our verse 6 that we'll get to in a, in a few minutes. Hebrews 12.22 describes a new kingdom, and it says, when we worship God, we worship with innumerable angels, or a total which cannot be numbered. In the Apostle John's capture of heaven's layout in Revelation 5, he records, hearing the voice of many angels around the throne, and the angel's number was 10,000 times 10,000. So we're already at 100 million angels, if you do the math, plus thousands of thousands, so add a few million more onto that 100 million. So these, these layers here of their day-to-day understanding of this topic, adding to this complexity and, and obviously the intrigue and mystique of angels, angels don't usually have physical bodies. The last verse of Hebrews 1 says, are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Angels are spirit beings, usually. From time to time, according to God's purposes, they are permitted to possess some kind of human appearance. Many scriptures capture these encounters. The last chapter of Hebrews also provides this significant nugget. I just find it interesting that the book of Hebrews itself, his book ended with conversation of angels. Hebrews 13, verse 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We wouldn't be able to entertain angels without knowing it unless they appeared very much like us, very unremarkably like us. So whether God grants angels with a temporary human appearance or temporarily allows us to view into the spiritual realm, we'll leave that up to God. We know that Balaam, finally had his eyes open to an angel standing in the way. This is such a comical story when you read it. You can't read it. You can read it over and over and continue laughing at the exact same spot when this non-Israelite prophet is talking back to his donkey who has spoken to him. Not shock, but arguing with him. We know Elisha prayed for God to open his assistant's eyes. So he could also see the vast angel army with chariots and horses surrounding their enemies who had encircled them. We know Adam and Eve could see the cherubim guarding Eden. And we know Abraham could see his three dinner guests, that faithful encounter of promise. Two were angels, and one of them the Lord. Angels were protectors of Lot and his family in the encounter in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know in Acts 12, Peter was able to see the angel who freed him. But these are exceptions. Angels are rarely seen here. 
However, angels stand in God's presence. As the prophet witnesses in Daniel 7, he sees God on his throne with millions of angels ministering to him and then tens of millions of angels standing before God. So, I guess in a type of recap, what do we know about the beliefs and experiences of this Jewish audience with regard to angels? They know that angels play a significant role in God's plan and that they do his bidding. They know there is a significant number of angels, even innumerable. And they know angels are rarely seen, but when they are, it is a major, major deal and their attention has been captured. So, we continue in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 1. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Christ is not a created angel. He is nothing less than very God of very God. But God says to Christ in Psalm 2, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. In other words, today you have stepped from the heavenly realm into time, taking on human form of flesh. He's announcing the Messiah's birth here. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And here the author is drawing on the covenant of God made with David. Remember, David wanted to build the temple. He was so just absolutely bent on doing this for God. I think his argument that he said was, I have a palace, I have a place, and yet God is in a tent. But God told him, no, he's a man of blood. God said, no, that he, God, would raise up from David's David's lineage one Solomon, whose kingdom God would establish forever, and Solomon would build the temple. And just like God had said to David, there is one he would raise up with a kingdom established forever who shall be to him a son, with a capital S. In verse 6, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Christ is infinitely superior to all created beings, no matter how powerful they may be. All power is bound to recognize and subordinate to the chief of powers. We see this truth come to life in Luke 2 as the angel hosts descend into the area around Bethlehem at the arrival of Jesus. And then in verse 7, of the angels, he says, or about the angels, this is what God says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. This is a Psalm 104 reference, reinforcing that angels are spirit beings. They may assume visible form when God desires we see them. And the fire reference, as we mentioned earlier, angels were often viewed or regarded as the presence of fire. In verse 8, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. This is a Psalm 45 reference. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God. And we just clearly see here, God, Jehovah, is clearly calling Jesus God. And Jesus has a throne. The angels do not. They do the bidding as they are commanded. 
So this is kind of that moment we should just simply pause and appreciate that He who made all of this, He who made every part of this, He who sits on an unwavering throne of righteousness chose, chose to condescend to our level, chose to suffer beyond comprehension and recognition, all to bring each of us back into a daily relationship with Him here and then into an eternal relationship with us forever in heaven. In verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Loved righteousness and hated wickedness. This doesn't sound like Jesus is sitting on the fence of neutrality, does it? In a time where compromise, sadly, seems to be one of the biggest trends in churches today. It is important to realize, to recognize that Jesus has not moved, nor has he wavered. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. Anointed with oil, God himself has anointed Jesus Christ as a reward for all of his work with joy beyond comprehension, honored for all his pain and accomplishment. And in verse 10, and of the Son, he says, this is in other words, that's what he's saying. And of the Son, he says, you, Lord, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Again, stating that Jesus made it all. In verse 11, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. The they in this verse is heaven and earth. So heaven and earth will perish, but he remains. Didn't Jesus himself say that back in Matthew 24? Jesus, the word himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but none of my words will pass away. And in verse 12, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end like a garment rolled up and changed. In Revelation 21, we read about a new heaven and a new earth coming. But Jesus Christ will still remain unchanged on his throne. You are the same. We all know this verse in Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. God Jehovah has not said that to an angel, but he said it to our Lord Jesus in Psalm 110.1. And leading into this last verse of Hebrews 1, why would he, God Jehovah, ever have said anything like that to an angel anyway? Because, verse 14 says, are they not all no exceptions, ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. They are ministering spirits, spirit beings, commissioned and consumed with ministry and care. They are sent out. 
They have orders because they are subordinates to serve. They have orders and a designated purpose. To serve who? (laughs) That's the best part, isn't it? For the sake of or for the benefit of those who are to inherit salvation. And who is that? That's us. We are the heirs of salvation. And you can see all throughout Scripture and how they carry out their service to us. Psalm 91.11 talks about their protective work over us. Luke 15, they rejoice over saved sinners. Luke 16, they carry people to their eternal state. Both in Acts 5 and Acts 12, angels delivered apostles out of prison. The ministry of angels is real, but it is a ministry to us and for us and for God's glory and bidding. They are not to be worshipped, as Colossians 2.18 strictly prohibits. Our focus is to be on Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. And we are bound, we are bound to esteem him. We are bound to adore and worship him only. Not solely because of his divine deity, position, and power, although that would be enough in itself, but also because of what he did personally for each and every one of us and what he has pledged to continue doing. So today we might be asking the question in our mind at least, What does this have to do with me? I understand fully the appropriate position of angels. I got that. Well, the question that next should be asked is, what are our angels? What are our angels? Are there people, spaces, or things in our lives that we hold as sacred? Are we holding on hobbies or beliefs above the position that we give Christ in our life? Do we esteem any activities, sports, politics, you make a list, in a place of priority over the place which we've given Jesus? It's easy to say a quick answer, especially if we've been in church long enough. But the question is, what does our day tell us? Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I never advocate for changing Scripture. We don't change Scripture, but sometimes substituting another word gives us a clearer, hands-on understanding of Scripture. So I don't think it does the Scripture injustice to substitute the words free time in place of treasure. Where our free time is, there will our hearts be also. So what are our angels? Is there anything that we allow to take a higher place than Christ in our life? We all will give account for what we have done with Jesus. And if we have given him the true place of supremacy in our lives. So that's our parting question for tonight. Is Jesus Christ reigning supreme on the throne of our life? you bow your heart with me. Father, we love you and we thank you for this evening. We thank you for every heart that's here. 
we just pray, Lord, that you would just continue to guide us and lead us in our relationship with you, in our priorities, whatever it is that we may need to surrender to you. It's not giving up on something. It's just handing it to you and letting you prioritize it for us. And Father, teach us, lead us, and guide us. Help us to be faithful servants of yours in all that we do and say. And we lift this up to you now in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Thank you.